Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Jeff Bogue, Senior Pastor of Grace Church of Greater Akron, where he has served with his wife Heidi since 1993. Jeff and Heidi are both Grace College grads, and Jeff is also a graduate of Grace Seminary. Jeff and his wife Heidi are the proud parents of five boys and a girl. Jeff is also an author of numerous books, including Living Naked, How an Ordinary Person Can Live an Extraordinary Life, which is quite the book title, Uh, Reset, Why Discipleship Isn't About Trying Harder, The One-Step Discipleship Journals, and Five Assumptions about About God and Why They Are Wrong. Beyond pastoring, writing, and speaking nationally, Jeff also oversees Grace College Akron campus, where over 40 young adults are currently earning their degree from Grace while engaged in ministry of Grace Church. His bio also says something about Ohio State and country music, but I'm going <laughs> to skip over those no, for that's today. That's the most so, important part of that. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for being on campus uh, these two days, speaking in chapel, yeah. amongst the many other things. Tell us a little bit about what you're speaking in chapel about and why. Uh, this time around, we're, we're speaking about what it truly means to be a disciple, Uh based on Jesus's definitions of it. So the, the scriptural passage is Luke 14, 25 through 35. And then um, the second chapel is uh, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 10. But it's about what I told the students today is, you know, when we think about following Christ, most people think about following Christ out of tradition or team. Mm. Like I'm a, instead of a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu, I'm a Christian or behaviors. I don't do these things. I do do these things. And none of those are Jesus's definitions. Hmm. And so just pressing into that a little bit and trying to help them think it through. And then uh, talking about the ramifications of that, that, that if Christ is our greatest affection, our greatest authority, our greatest governance, suddenly our lives should probably be a little bit more radical than they are, be a little bit uh, easier to identify. Hmm. And it's that's my passion. I'm talking about this with our churches right now. Um, I just think this is what our world is dying to know. I, uh, I'm i not trying to save the culture. It's lost, right? We're not going to put yep. those genies back in the bottles. But the, the, the radical life of Jesus is what draws people to Jesus. And so if the church, if true Christ followers aren't living that way, then the people around us can't find the hope Hmm. that they're desperate for. So that's what we're talking about and walking them through a little bit. That's great. I want to rewind a little bit because you shared even this morning your own testimony Mm -hmm. of uh, coming to Christ while at Grace. Right. So how did you get to Grace and then... Um, what during your experience led you to accepting Christ? Yeah, so I, I, I came to Grace for two reasons. My brother went here, and my uh, my two sisters did uh, some of their education here. So it was kind of a family thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's how I knew about Grace. And then um, buddies from high school came out here to play soccer, and I think I just followed them out here and um, got connected that way. Um, but 
I came to grace. I, I was a guy that grew up in a Christian home, very godly, very loving parents, grew up in a very legalistic church. I did not have legalistic parents, but I grew up in a very legalistic church. Went to a Christian school. My whole life was important to my dad. My dad was a factory worker. Hmm. And so for him to pay that tuition, he would literally just work overtime to get us through school. And so I knew the Christian subculture inside and out, knew how to perform and excel in it. And to me, that was what Christianity was. Now, you pull me out in front of people and get into my private life or my secret life, it was Christless, right? So uh, everything from my morality to the way that I thought and what I valued and all those kind of things. And through high school, that was true. Came to grace. I didn't really come to grace because I was pursuing Christ. Uh, Being in a Christian culture was not foreign to me. So going to a Christian school was no big deal to me. Um, But I pursued, I was driven by that same thing. I was just godless. Mm. Uh, but I knew the Bible, and I knew how to perform. And so if you needed me to act godly, I could. Easy peasy, right? So it was. Uh, I lived that way uh, through my freshman and sophomore year of, of college here at Grace with all that was involved with living that way. My junior year of college, um, I fell in with some people who were genuine Christ followers. And... Um, it shocked me. I, I, I'm not sure I realized that there were people who didn't fake it. Hmm. <laughs> um, so it, it shocked me a little bit, and I was deeply drawn to them. And, uh, and it, I, I didn't have a crisis. I wasn't needy. I like a popular, fun-loving guy. I wasn't lonely. But it was the genuineness of, of their love for Christ. And I, I remember looking at them one night at a Bible study, and I thought, because I, I would go to these things. I knew how to operate, you know. But I remember thinking, uh, I thought, I think they actually believe this stuff. <laughs> and I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I, they were, they were, this was in the early 90s, and, and so the worship mu- movement was just kind of starting. And they're worshiping, worshiping. And I thought to myself, I thought, I think they are actually worshiping God. And it was foreign to me. And God used that, and, and in particular, a guy named Steve Huber, who was a college student, and um, he, the genuineness of his faith, and it attracted me. And uh, I, one night by myself, um, I was searching for God, so I was reading the Bible. I read about Jesus walking on water. Uh, I knew the Bible, like I said, was educated in the Bible and all those kind of things. And... Um, I thought to myself, I thought, well, he either did that or he didn't. And if he did it, he's God. If he's didn't, the whole thing is is useless. And I thought, I, I'm going to choose to believe that he did. Hmm. And so I, I would say, if my mom was alive, she'd say I accepted Jesus when I was six. Uh, but I would say I accepted Jesus when I was a junior in college. I, I yielded my life to him. And that was here at Grace. And um, uh, from there, God called me into ministry, which I don't know, it's maybe another conversation or maybe this one, I don't know. But my, my life deeply transformed from that point hmm. forward. So 
I remember you uh, in your book talked about Steve, and like you said this morning, he he was a disciple of Christ, not not always a rule follower, no, um, but had a genuine passion for following Christ. Yeah, not just following the rules. Yeah, in fact, the the tradition I grew up in, he would have been a he would have been ostracized because huh. this is the early 90s and Steve had his ears pierced and his nipples pierced and <laughs> tattoos and long hair and and my church would have said well he's going to hell you know and I think that's what short-circuited me I'm like I think he just loves Jesus and he looks wrong and he's in ministry today huh. he started I was just talking to him not long ago but he started all kinds of churches and I'm like it just blew my mind and and God used him in a great way that's awesome I remember one time we were praying uh, or we were driving, and he goes, Jeff, I'm going to pray for you, but he was driving. And so he started to pray, and the whole time he's praying, I'm thinking, I, literally, I'm thinking, his eyes are open. His <laughs> eyes are open. Can you talk to God with your eyes open? <laughs> it's in there somewhere, it's isn't it? It's in somewhere, but that, yeah, he's, God used him in great ways. That's awesome. You did go into ministry like right after college, correct? Yeah. So, um, and where you're at currently um, within the the Grace Church family, at least, right? Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about, like, yeah, God calling you to ministry and then you heading out to Northeast Ohio and, you know, Buckeye country and all That's that right. stuff um, and getting started in ministry. Yeah. So I came back to school and um, uh, the first time I ever felt led by the Spirit of God was to... I. I had been living in Philadelphia in the summertime hmm. and had thought about leaving Grace College and, and going there because I was working with some abused kids, and I really loved them. And so I thought about that, uh, and um, I prayed. And the first time I ever felt led by the Holy Spirit to do something was to return to Grace College. Hmm. And I felt like God was calling me back here to meet my wife. And so I came back. Had little, you met her yet? Did you... I, I'm, I'm looking still. No, oh, no. <laughs> no. Um, I came back and uh, connected with my wife, Heidi. We've been married 26 and a half years. Wow. Um, and uh, I had known Heidi, but she knew I was a fake. And so when I came back and I was transformed by Christ, she was like, you've always been good looking, but now you love Jesus, you know, kind of thing. And so... Um, so we started today, and I was hungering for the Lord, like truly. And one night in Beta, you know, the old Beta dorm. Good um, things happen in Beta. Good I things guess. happen okay. in Beta. That's right. Beta life is good. Beta is good. So um, I was praying and asking the Lord, you know, what does it mean to follow you? And I was just, I was in First Peter. And I was reading the scriptures. And I was praying. And uh, I was reading about God's holiness, and uh, you don't make me cry, man, like talking about this stuff. I was praying about God's holiness, and um, I felt like I needed to be low. Like the, the, old, the old-timey word is prostrate, you know, where you fall on your face before God. And I just felt I had, I had been so, like, wicked before Christ that I like I feel like I need to be low and um I got up from I don't even know why I did this really I I thought what's the lowest place I can find 
And so I left my dorm. It was like two o'clock in the morning. The dorm wasn't particularly busy. And I went down to the basement of Beta. And um, the lowest the lowest physical place I could find was the laundry room. And um, I laid prostrate on the floor of the laundry room of Beta. And I said, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. I just, I want you to use my life and I don't even care what you ask me to do, but I will do it. I, I love you, right? And so um told Heidi about that and she Heidi loves the Lord and Heidi's the most incredible human being you'll ever meet in your life and so she was excited about that and we thought um I thought what that was going to mean was moving moving to Philadelphia and working in the inner city with these kids these kids are the were the first people I ever loved more than myself my whole life and so I told Heidi, what do you think about moving to the ghetto? And you have to know Heidi, but she's like, let's do it. You know, she's all in. And so that was our plan and uh, started preparing for that. And um, the the Christmas break of my senior year of college, I got a call from a church near Akron, Ohio. It's a long story, but they were looking for a youth pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor because I thought pastors were useless. I, I thought pastors were people that held you to legalism and that you lied in front of and then ignored and just went and did your own thing. And so um, I got a call from a pastor, long series of events. I We went up and talked to this church, found out that they accepted people as they really were. You could come in there as a drug addict, as a prostitute, as a clean-cut Christian, and you were loved and interacted with and embraced. So this church that was real, it had all these broken, messed-up people, and they wanted us to work with their teenagers. And I'm like, well, if the parents are this screwed up, the kids must be a ton of fun, <laughs> you know? And so we went there. So I I don't know the exact date, but just... Uh, I we would have graduated like May fifteenth, and then I I know we did start there June first wow. of that year, and then we got married at the end of the summer. So that was twenty six and a half years ago, and I've been at the same church. I don't know how to do anything else. So I really <laughs> need to hold on to my job uh, there. So and God has blessed in you know ways you could not have imagined. Yep. 26 years ago, right out of college, um, and and Grace Church of Greater Akron was not a thing at that time. That's right, yeah. Um, but over the years, a unique model, unique way of doing ministry has, mm -hmm. um, for lack of a better term, evolved. Um, uh, and and I know you've been strategic throughout that. So talk to us about, like, you know, you went to one church, and now, now what is... Grace Church of of Greater Akron, and as concisely as possible, how do you explain that yeah. story? So we went we went to one location, one church. It was called the Norton Grace Brethren Church. It had about four hundred people when we went there. 
Uh, I have a, an incredible mentor named Bob Combs. To me, he's the hero of the Best story. Best looking guy there is. Best looking guy there He'll is. He'll let you know, too. Yeah, he will. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he's an amazing, amazing man. And um, so I was his youth pastor. And then Bob and I uh, have always been in, extremely close with each other and very, very trusting. So probably two years after I got there, I became kind of like the chief strategist and uh, the one who started to create like ministry philosophy. And then Bob and I did that together, but I, I would usually like have some idea and then he would bring his wisdom and refine it and those kind of things. So uh, we started doing that. That led to um, us starting what we call a campus of the church. This was in 2000, so 20 years ago now. Um, and Bob asked Heidi and I to go and start that campus. So we took about 125 people and we started uh, the first campus of Grace Church. And uh, from there, it's, like you said, God is just blessed in, in tremendous ways. So uh, Grace now would have 12, 13,000 people hmm. tied to it. Uh, we have eight campuses. We're getting ready to open our ninth campus, and our goal is to open a minimum of 30 wow. campuses. And when I say campus, it, this is not me on video all over the place. I, I pastor and shepherd the, the main campus there. Um, but the the way that you should interpret it or the listener should interpret it is uh a church planting movement. So a campus to us is a church plant, and we just uh, unify the back end to maximize resources, vision, philosophy, training, all the rest. So we have six campuses in Northeast Ohio. We have two in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and then we're hoping to open, you know, 22 more in 20, the next 24 years mm -hmm. is, is kind of our goal. And uh, that, uh, that involves us raising up leaders that can, that can lead those campuses. So we call, that, we call that the movement of Grace Church. And our view of Christ, our view of discipleship, our philosophy of what the church is, is what we export. Mm -hmm. um, but the methods are all localized. So we don't copy music. We don't copy programs. Like I said, I don't preach at every campus. Uh, but the vision, the values, the theology, the doctrine, that's what we're really exporting mm -hmm. and, and creating. That's awesome. Praise the Lord for the yeah. impact it's all fun. over the place. And in yeah, many different contexts, mm -hmm. too. Um, you mentioned raising up leaders as being, I mean, if you're going to start that many campuses, um, you got to have a lot of people ready to do it. Right. Um, and one of the ways that you're doing that is through your Grace Akron program. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about the vision of creating that program and what it is now. It's our only site besides what we have in Winona Lake. It's our only external site yeah. uh, for Grace College. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So we, as we were raising up these campuses, we need leaders. So we need pastors, missionaries, directors, um, et cetera, people who are ministry professionals 
who can lead these campuses. And so we realize we need we need young people who are willing to go into full-time ministry and uh, and do this. And our vision and our um, values are nuanced enough that it's hard to import people. Hmm. So e- even if I import you, it's going to take you a few years to really understand what we do. So we found it's easier to raise them. So about five years ago, I took that vision to our congregations, and I said, um, I would, we would like to start investing in young people over the long haul to create these, these, uh, these leaders. And they agreed. So we spend, um, we spend about a close to a million dollars a year on 30 and 30 on the vision. And a big chunk of that is interns and residents. So an intern for us is a part-time employee who's a full-time undergrad student. And a resident is a full-time employee who's a full-time graduate student. Mm. And so we started that process. And you, I think you mentioned in your bio, we have 40 or 50 undergrad students right now uh, working at that. About two years into that, uh, the education model, because I, I believe if you're going to do something for a career, you should get a real education in it. And so our the education model we uh, were we started with, we didn't like it wasn't doing what we wanted it to. So I'll never forget, I pulled in my drive one day uh, and called Bill Kate up. And I, just, I have a cell phone number, we're friends. I said, Bill, I, I would love to work with Grace. I really want to come home, you know, to Grace. Uh, but you guys didn't have what I needed. <laughs> and Bill... I think it was a week later was in Akron and he was like <laughs> sounds like him. Yeah. I see opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And he he was amazing. Tim Zebarth has uh-huh. been amazing. And uh, those guys came out. Tim and I went to school by the way. Okay. So I have stories if you want them. If you need anything, <laughs> let me know. Yeah. I'll let you know when the time is right. Yeah. Um but they came out and Grace School started to design a program for us and uh, we implemented it. So we at when you go to Grace Akron is what we call it. Uh, these are uh, f- it's fully accredited. Mm-hmm. It is taught by live teachers. This is so this is not online stuff. It's a full undergrad degree. So you're doing some math and English and the whole liberal arts thing. And as our students are studying their biblical studies degree, they're also working in the ministry, and so they're they're uh, they're learning how to do as they learn kind of how to think and mm-hmm. how to see things. And then this fall, we, we went back to the school and said, we could really use a seminary. And so this fall of 2020, Grace Seminary will come to Akron. And it's the same idea that live teaching, uh, you're learning your, your deeper systematic theologies, doctrines, all those mm-hmm. kind of things while doing ministry full-time. So we have a group of those students, about half of our students are interns and residents. An intern is usually uh, fresh out of high school. Like these kids will get, they'll earn half half scholarships or even full rides uh, for us to get their mm-hmm. undergrad degree. And then that resident is a post-undergrad, they're going to seminary. 
about half of our students there are our interns and residents, and the other half are from other churches or even our church, but they're studying ministry. Mm-hmm. They're doing the same thing. Uh, we're just interacting with them differently. And um, we, in addition, in addition, here recently, I became the president of CE National. So there we have the National Youth Institute, which is another Grace College program, right. and it adds about 60 more students to that umbrella. And so working with uh, with Dr. Kadeup and, and Freddie Cardoza, we're, we're, we're trying to morph all that together into a how do we, can we raise up these guys for full-time ministry? So my dream is to have 200 students studying for full-time ministry at any given one time in the undergrad program and then filtering into the seminary. And my dream over the next 25 years is to send two or 3,000 students into full-time ministry, whether it's uh, a campus pastor, a lead pastor, a staff pastor, a director, a children's director, youth director, worship director, whatever, a missionary, uh, really wherever in the kingdom, we obviously need these kids for our own movement, but our real goal is to energize this for the kingdom. Because kids kids today are not being called into full-time ministry. It's a, it's kind of a lost thing in the North American church, which is tragic. Um, but um, we're calling them mm. and giving them a pathway and training them because I it's a real career. And it takes a real education and really smart people who could do other things choose to do this. And God uses it, and it's a great way to spend your life. And God uses it in great, great ways. So, And you think about the uh, history of what was first Grace Seminary and then became Grace yep. College as well. And that's, that's how we started, right? I mean, yep. it was call people into ministry, um, whether it be here or around the world. And it's neat to see that fresh vision um, be raised up again to see how many people can we send out into the harvest fields Yeah, uh, once again. So cool to be able to partner with you in quite a number of ways yeah, <laughs> and it's just growing, right. growing daily it seems. Um, <laughs> so thank you for the way you've engaged and even been here this week and had more of those conversations. And um, we at Grace College and Seminary um, have learned more about the value of raising up leaders from within, mm-hmm. and it's neat to see you doing that. And uh, I know more churches are going to hopefully hop on board, too. Love it. Love um, it. So uh, somehow, in the midst of all this, you find time to write. Like, is that sort of like your your midnight thing? Like, you wake up in the middle of the night, like, hey, you know, I should write a book. Like, <laughs> where do you fit that into the day? Just the nooks and crannies. It, it's a Whenever I'm in the middle of writing a book, I'm like, why am I writing a book? Like, it's, <laughs> if you've ever written a book, it's hard to do. And uh, but you know, we've just done it over the years. Somebody challenged me one time. They said uh, your sermons, your podcast, your social media won't stick around, but the books that you write will linger forever. Yeah. And so, I, I probably just feel challenged to do it. So you uh, you started a series a few years ago, um, the Head and Heart series, mm-hmm. and uh, your first book in that series, Five Assumptions About God and Why They Are Wrong. Um, tell me first why why this series uh, and then what that book specifically is trying to address. Yeah, so what we what we 
press into a lot is we say we need to know the heart and mind of Christ. Um, we turn Christianity into a to-do list or uh, a religious obligation, but understanding why Jesus thinks the way he thinks and how he loves us is really the, the, the key to the Christian life. And so Heart and Head, that's where that came from, and, and um, why we named it that series is we want to we press into those things. So, so the first book there, Five Assumptions About God and Why They're Wrong, it is us pressing back into um, the things that become excuses for people to press away from God. And we're like, uh, one of the questions I ask in the book, I, I actually say this stuff a lot, is I'll, I'll say, well, what if you're wrong? And well, I think this, this, and this, that's great. But what if you're wrong? What if there's another way to think about things? Mm-hmm. And so that's where those assumptions came from. And I just label kind of like the, it could have been a hundred assumptions sure, about sure. God and why they're wrong, but we had to call it quit somewhere. <laughs> but um, kind of the top five that I would run into over the years, and, and we just leaned into them and unplugged it and just said, but what if it's this instead? There, there's another way to see this stuff that you can look at. Tell us one of those assumptions uh, of the top five um, that we often make uh, about God. Yeah. So um, maybe one of the funnest one is is that crisis for children. And so as a as a man, I run into this a lot. This is where the old the the idea that uh, God is a crutch, God's for the weak, because we present him like he's for children. Mm. So he's a talking tomato, he's a cartoon. <laughs> um, you know, we do a lot of stuff for kids. And, and I'm all for that. I'm all for educating and reaching people at the stage of life that they're in. But even the word Jesus sounds childish to the North American ear. Sure. Right? Because we would say, like, Jesus loves me, this I know. We would sing children's songs. Well, the name of, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue, Hitler, Mussolini, Saddam Hussein, every president is going to bow their knee before Jesus Christ. Right? So we just press into that. And uh, this Jesus is not, uh, you know, a teddy bear. He he is a, a roaring lion. He is a judge. Uh, he is the one who will return victoriously and destroy the forces of evil. And 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 understanding, like, when you look and say, "Well, why do I need a kitty story? I'm a grown man." And I'm like, right, you don't. But do you need a Lord, a God, a King, a General? That's a very different question. Mm. I'm not going to follow my elementary teacher to hell and back. Yeah. But I'm going to follow the head of the head of the Navy SEALs, right? And so it's a false assumption, and it really does affect. So men, especially, and women too. But we sit in church, and and we're like, why are we here? I went to Sunday school, mm-hmm. and I'm like, right. Because you're still being taught Sunday school lessons instead of instead of the radical countercultural call of Jesus Christ on your life. So mm. that would be an example of one of the five. You mentioned uh, the next book is at the publisher in the series. 
what is the the topic of that book and when's it going to come out? So the the working title of that book is Assume I Know Nothing and it'll probably it'll probably come out this fall. Um but the what I did in this I have a friend uh at our CrossFit gym that my wife and I own and that she goes to a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I go to occasionally. You said you went there this week, I've right? Been, All I've right. been there four times this year, and that's four more times than I went all of last year. <laughs> um, but we have a friend. One of the reasons why we started that gym is because we, we knew it was a great way to reach people for Christ. So started the gym, gym three years ago. We've seen about 20 people come to know Christ. Wow. We do baptisms at the gym. We have services at the gym. It's kind of it's a real fun thing. But one of the gals that uh, accepted Christ there, uh, before she did, she had had a death in her family, and um, she had asked to talk to me. She found out I was a pastor or whatever, and asked Heidi, and so Heidi talked to me, and so I said, yeah. So I said, what if we just sit and talk after the workout, you know? So um, we sat down and talked, she and I did, there at the gym, and and, uh, she started asking me questions about heaven and the afterlife and this and that. I started to explain explain things to her. And somewhere in the course of the conversation, I said, I I could tell I was losing her, you know? And so I said, hey, I said, I don't mean to be patronizing, but do you have any idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> and she goes, she goes, no, I don't. And I said, do you know about like the Old Testament and the New Testament? No. Do you know the difference between God and Jesus and that Christ isn't Jesus's last name? No. Okay. And she looked at me to to comfort me now because I'm like embarrassed because I felt like I was patronizing to her. And she looked at me and she said, Jeff, she goes, just assume I know nothing. Talk to me like I know absolutely nothing. And so off of that conversation, I looked and said, our, one, of the, one of the assumptions that we make at Grace Church when we're reaching our community is that our community is biblically illiterate. They have no idea what you're talking about. Um, when you look at a, a 24-year-old uh, unbeliever and say, you guys shouldn't be living together, they'll say, why? What's immoral? How? I don't sleep around. I only sleep with her. They have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. And so we always assume that they have no idea what we're talking about. And so what I did was I took a, uh, I made a teaching series called Assume I Know Nothing. And we tried to explain faith and Christ and salvation as if you walked out of the woods and had never encountered it before. So if you could boil that down to its very, very, very essence, where would you even begin that conversation, mm. right? And I actually have a friend uh, uh, who is a missionary, or he's not a missionary, he's French. He's a pastor in France. And um, he had he has to do this because the, it's such a post-Christian community. Right. They have no idea what you're talking about. And so he and I got on the phone and kind of organized these thoughts, and, and I was picking his brain. I was like, well, what pathway do you take so it's logical? And we figured that out, and then I taught a series on it, and I turned it into a book. And so that that's what that is. Mm. It's, it's not Christianity for dummies. It's more 
literally, uh, it's a little bit more like mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Um, except think of smaller words and a lot lower IQ. So one I could maybe understand. One that you okay. and, I, and that I could write. There's a lot of crayon. <laughs> There's a lot of crayon in the book. Um, but that's what it is. And you have, uh, at least with the book, first book series, and, and maybe you're desiring to do this with others, put songs, uh, yep. art, you know, you've kind of surrounded it with some other ways of expressing the ideas. Yep. That's right. Why, why bring other art forms into it? You know, just, it's just our world that we live in. We, none of us learn one way. And so my friend Ben Beaver wrote some songs. Jeffbook.org is where all this stuff is. And, and um, you can kind of walk through the book. You can listen to these songs that he he wrote, um, and like you said, art and all the rest. We're, we're just like this is all reinforcing who Christ is, and then what this particular truth is that we're we're leaning into. So just trying to be creative and and not assuming everybody learns the way that I learn or Ben learns or mm-hmm. what, you know whatever. Um, so it's just that. Mm-hmm. Where is the best place you mentioned Jeff Bogue, uh, dot org? Org, yeah. okay. And where else, if people want to find you, follow you on social media, whatever it may be, what's the what's the best way to to find you? So I'm so old that all you have to do is Jeff Bogue everything. Nobody, <laughs> I, I'm so old that when all the social media platforms came out, I just used my name. <laughs> so uh, it's Jeff Bogue on Facebook. It's uh, Jeff Bogue on Instagram. Uh, and it's it's uh, even Jeff Bogue on Twitter. Okay. It's where all those things are. You Google it, it's there. Uh, this stuff's on Amazon and all those kind of things. And if you Google uh, my name, like the church will come up. And it, if you just use Jeff Bogue as the gateway, you'll... They'll find you. You'll get to where you want to be. Just don't come to my house. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing from a broad perspective, a lot of different things that mm-hmm. God's been doing and has done in your life. And we could dig into any one of those for a long period of time, but thank you for sharing with us today. Thanks for having me. It's fun. And thank you for listening to the Grace Story podcast. Thanks to Dr. Wally Brath, Associate Professor of Worship Arts at Grace for providing the music, and for Andrew Palladino and Rick Neer for being our co-producers. If you would like, share, comment on this wherever you found it, we would be so appreciative. And we hope you live your best grace story today.